got a new mic if you haven't noticed. We're going to try it out this morning. Um, wasn't that just a sweet presence this morning? Um, I was standing over there, and this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I felt so strongly that the Holy Spirit wanted me to read this, so I went back and had, uh, had our sound guy put this scripture up, and we're going to look real quick at Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, and it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest on his shoulders, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. If you sang any of those songs this morning, we'll praise his name forever. Lyrics that are saying, we will give you honor and glory and we will praise you in the mountain and in the valley, then you've got to mean it. You've got to ask yourself if you are willing to live out the words that we just sang, regardless of how bad things may get. And so this morning, I ask you the question, and I I hope this sparks something in you instead of making you mad, but if the government gets bad and doesn't do anything we think they should do, and we stand up and we fight and we give our vote and we do all this stuff that we feel is our right to do, and it is, but if they don't do any of it, if it gets really, 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 really bad to a point... Will those songs that you just sang and those words you just sang still be as true as they were this morning five minutes ago? All our worship, all our praise, all our glory, God, we give you honor. We will praise your name forever. Will that be the song that you sing regardless of how bad it gets? Because Isaiah prophesied and he said, to us a son has been given and born and the government." will rest on his shoulders. I know you feel this morning, I just feel this in my spirit, I know you feel this morning that you feel like maybe we're losing something, we're giving something up, something's been taken away this past week, and you know what, if it all gets taken away of what you feel was right, will you lift your hands and say, I will praise his name forever, regardless if I'm in the mountain, if I'm in the valley, if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, will you fear no evil, for thou art with you? Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. We'll get this ringing figured out. Like I said, it's a new mic, so bear with us. But this morning, we're gonna go in our next uh, part of the series of Travelite. 
And this morning we're going to talk about distractions. <laughs> it's kind of funny this thing's buzzing because I know that's distracted some of you from what I was saying in the moment. Uh, it's kind of, kind of funny how that worked out. But I, I remember a story when I was in high school, my senior year, I was a swimmer. And I swam for four years, and all four years, I, I at some point either made it to uh, placed in regions or districts or on the state level. And I was, uh, I was, I was one of these people that loved it, man. I love swimming. I love competing. One of the reasons why I like competing in swimming, and I, I played basketball. I did other things growing up, but I love swimming because for me, it was an individual sport. If I failed, it wasn't my coach's fault. If I failed, it wasn't my teammate's fault. If I failed, it was because I didn't put in the practice and the effort, or I didn't try hard enough to do what was needed to win. But I remember my senior year in high school, it was one of the last district meets of the season, and we were competing at the Radford Dedman Center when they had a pool at that time. And I remember our coach would always come up to us at the beginning of the meet, and he would say, okay, here's what you're swimming. And I was a sprinter. I wasn't a long-distance person. I actually, I hate running. Uh, I hate, you know, I'll run from certain animals, but I hate running for fun, but I do it sometimes because I know I need to stay in shape. But I was a sprinter as a swimmer, and that meant that I would do the sprint events, which was usually the 50 freestyle or the 100 freestyle or 100 breaststroke. Anything above that, I was done. I didn't want to do it. And so my senior year, our coach brought us the last meet of the season, and we were competing against a couple different schools. And I remember he said, okay, Brad, he said, we're going to open up and we're going to do a relay, which was typical. All your relays at the beginning of the event were usually first and at the end. And he said, Brad, we're going to do a team relay, and then you're going to do your 50 free, and then you're going to do your 100 breaststroke. And then at the end, he got our team together. He goes, I'm going to put you guys in another relay, he said, because there's not that many teams competing. And he said, if you guys will do this, we will place at state. And I was like, well, okay, but we're not that good. This isn't something we're normally, do you know, we don't practice this relay. Like, this is not something the four, me and three other guys normally do. But he knew that by the lack of amount of other teams that we could automatically qualify for state. We told him, we were like, please, like, we don't want to do this. We're going to be tired. We're going to get out there and embarrass ourselves. Well, I remember the last meet come up, and it was the very last meet of the day of the event. And we all four get up, and I'm swimming the last leg of the relay. I'm swimming fourth, and I got three other guys in front of us. And I remember it's a 400-meter relay, so that means that each one of us swims 100 meters, which in the swimming pool at the Deadman Center meant you swim down and back, down and back. And I remember the first guy went, swam down and back, down and back, was somewhat of a close race. The second guy went, he swims down and starts swimming back. Well, when he comes back, the next person gets up on the starting block to prepare for his turn to go. Well, he gets back, and I notice the guy in front of me who's swimming third gets up on the starting block. And I'm like, well, he still has another 50 to go. I just thought, well, maybe he's nervous, trying to get some nerves out. Well, the guy that's going second goes down, comes back. When he touches the wall, the guy in front of me goes. And I went... What, what are you doing? Which he couldn't hear me. He's in the water, but that's what I was thinking. Well, he starts swimming. Well, he's about halfway down the pool, and this place is packed in the Deadman Center, and it was very loud. 
He starts going down, and the guy makes this flip turn, and I knew what was going to happen. He's swimming down behind him. But when you're swimming in the pool, one of the things competitive swimming, you don't swim with your head up. You want resistance, so you swim with the crown of your head down in the water where you can barely look forward. And I remember I was like, I'm seeing it happen in front of me, and, 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 and it's unfolding in front of me, and you hear this kind of roar in the crowd like, oh my goodness, like this is about to happen. So he's swimming. The guy who jumped ahead of the guy, third, the third guy jumped ahead of the second guy, he does his flip turn, and when he hits the wall and comes back, they collide head to head. Well, when they do, they stand up and look dumbfounded at was what, like, what was going on. Well, they start laughing and high-five each other, and when they did that, I took my swim cap off and I walked off. And I was like, oh my word, what just happened? Well, everybody bust out laughing. Well, the official looks at me and he was like, and, and again, the official, when I say official, it usually meant a parent that was volunteering that night. The parent the official looked at me and was like, are you not gonna go? I said, no, we're disqualified. Like, why would I get wet? Why would I tire myself out? Like, no, I'm not going. So I walk off Well, the coach, I see him make a beeline towards me. He goes, y'all did that on purpose, didn't you? I said, no. I said, do you, I said, do you on a regular basis want to look like an idiot and do stuff that makes you look like an idiot on purpose? I said, no, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't want to look stupid. I said, they are the one that did it. And I said, and they didn't do it on purpose either, which makes it even worse. Like they didn't even think about what they were doing. Well, I remember when the kid in front of me got out of the pool and we got back to the locker room, I kind of was just standing there. I was like, what happened? Like, what, what did you do? He was like, I don't know, I just got distracted. I said, well, obviously. I said, and you kind of cost us, but I said, whatever, the coach is mad at me because I'm the team captain. He thinks I threw that, and I'm like, I didn't do any of that. I didn't have any part of that. So he got distracted, and he couldn't tell me why. He goes, I don't know. He goes, I just got distracted. How many of you have been there before? You don't know why, you don't know how. You've just gotten distracted. Some of you may have gotten distracted and it's cost you a little bit of money and it's cost you some court time. Some of you may have been distracted and you say, you know what, I've missed my exit. Some of you may have been distracted and it's cost you an argument with your spouse. Men, <laughs> you did not pay attention to what she told you not to do or to do or to pick up at the store and now you're going back to the store. Who said amen? <laughs> but distractions are all around us. Distractions happen each and every day. I know for me as a driver, I drive for a company called Centos and we drive each and every day and we have to go through different safety measures every quarter to ensure that we're remembering how, you know, how to drive properly or you know, some awareness things we need to be aware of and some rules and this and that. And I know if you have ever been to Christiansburg, the Christiansburg exit, the last, if you don't get over on the exit, to where you're going, whether it's that first exit to the industrial park that leads you around to Christiansburg, like towards Blacksburg, if you don't hit the 460 exit, you have one more option, and that's the Cracker Barrel exit. That's not a bad exit to take because everybody loves Cracker Barrel. But if you miss the Cracker Barrel exit and you are driving, you are going to Ironto before you get to turn back around. 
And I said, Ironto, not Toronto, but it feels like you're driving to Toronto if you miss the exit. Trust me, I've learned the lesson the hard way. And so it's about a 15-minute drive down and back. And so anyways, we're presented with distractions. You've got distractions at home. You've had distractions this morning. I remember our youngest or our oldest boy one time, we were sitting in a church and he just kept kind of looking over and looking over. And I finally, we were during worship. I said, what's wrong? I said, what, what are you looking at? He goes, the lady back there, she's singing really loud. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm sorry. Just try to look this way. And he goes, and it's not good either. And I was like, Caden, hush. Like, I don't want her to hear you. Like, like, please stop. But we get distracted even here on Sunday mornings. Many of you may be distracted. You've come in with distractions. And I know for me, this right here is one of my biggest distractions that I've got to die to. But I want us real quick, before we look at a story, I want you to write this down. The devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. The devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. Because what will happen is if he can distract you enough, you will destroy yourself. So the devil doesn't need to destroy you. He needs just to distract you. And we're going to look real quick at a story in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. And we're going to read this story about how Jesus and his disciples were walking through an area and they stopped and were invited into this woman's home. And so let's start in verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that was going on and that had to be made. And she came to him and asked and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I, the only way I could think of this story being any better is if, Mary was her husband, and it was actually her husband that she was mad at that he was sitting there doing nothing while she was making all the preparations. Some of you are shaking your head. You've experienced that with, okay, don't point at your husband, but you've experienced that. Maybe your husband does that. So we look at this story, and Mary and Martha, who were sisters, invite Jesus and his disciples into their home. And Mary, who was very busy, or excuse me, Martha, who was very busy doing what many of you will do here in a couple weeks. You know, you might have some immediate family over. You might have a get together with your family and you always have that one person in your family who cannot sit still, who has always got to be doing something, preparing something. Maybe that's you. For me and my family, my mama, who is a great, wonderful woman, she is the one that we're always looking at going, quit cleaning up the dishes. We haven't even finished the dinner yet. Put this down, like, come sit with us. Come and talk with us. Come just enjoy the meal. Like, you've prepared, you've worked hard. Just come enjoy the meal. And some of you in your family, you have a Mary or a husband. Let's name him Mark. Hope nobody's name's Mark in here. But you have a Mary 
that just simply shows up. You invite them and say, hey, you know, here's what time we're having this dinner. Here's what, you know, here's what we're going to do. And they sometimes will ask and say, what can I bring in the back of their mind, knowing that they're not going to bring anything. They're just going to show up and reap the benefits. They're just going to eat the really good food. And that was Mary. Mary's sister of her, she just sat at the feet of Jesus. And what's interesting, though, about this story is that neither one of them were necessarily doing anything bad. Martha had the gift of preparation and servanthood, and she decided she was going to make her home the best and the most best food and everything. She was going to do everything necessary to make sure Jesus and his disciples felt the most welcome they could. Mary wasn't doing anything wrong either. She chose, I know who this man is. I've heard about him. I'm going to sit and just simply listen to him. And neither one of them were doing anything bad, but they were doing what they wanted to do in the moment. Unfortunately, Martha wasn't doing anything bad or wrong, but often the most difficult choices we have to make aren't between good and bad, but between good and best. I'll say that again. So often the most difficult choices aren't between good and bad, but between what is good and what is best. Good is the enemy of great. And for many of you who have been distracted over the past couple weeks or even the past couple days or, you know, the past couple months, you're not necessarily doing anything bad. It's just you're not giving your best. You're doing good, but maybe your kids need more than good. Maybe they need great. Maybe in this moment and season in life, you're doing okay at your job. You're doing everything that's necessary, but maybe you're not giving of your best. And as I'm reminded a couple weeks ago when I spoke and read out of Matthew, the, the, the challenge that Jesus gave his disciples and everyone, he said, love me with all your heart. And so in order to love Jesus with all your heart, you have to give all your best. Sometimes good isn't good enough. You've got to be challenging yourself to go, I need to be giving my best in this season right now. And so we're going to challenge ourselves to choose what is better. And in your notes right there, number one, we're going to challenge you to diminish the distractions this season. Diminish the distractions. Take a minute today, this evening at lunchtime or whenever, and ask yourself, what are some distractions that are in my life right now that I need to diminish? I'm going to take it a step further. What are some things in your life right now, some distractions that maybe you need to say, hey, these distractions aren't necessarily bad, but I'm not giving my best. But over here, I've got some distractions that if I don't handle them right now and if I don't get rid of them, they're going to pull me down. They're going to pull my kids down. They're going to pull our whole situation down in my job or in my life right now. You've got to ask yourself, are your distractions good, but you need to diminish some of them? Or are your distractions potentially going to lead you to doing something bad and to sacrificing something for your kids or your family? So choose what is better. Diminish the distractions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35 it says, I am saying this for your benefit, 
not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. The most common distraction that we have right now, as I pointed to a minute ago, is this right here. This is such an incredible thing. And it can be used in such an incredible way. And there are things that just amaze me about this thing right here. But for many of you, if you don't diminish this distraction now, it could lead to something really bad. It could cost you a job. How many of you have kids in here, little kids? I've said to myself more times than none, I don't want my kids growing up and turning 18 and being those kids that say, man, my mom and dad, they were all the time on this thing right here. They were all the time looking at this. I, I remember the times I would try to get them to play with me and it would be like, just a minute, son. Just a minute. Mommy, can we go outside? Just a minute. Daddy, can I do the, yeah, just a minute. Give me a minute. I'm doing something for work. Not that it's bad, but it could be. But are you giving your best? Instead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit taking that time to, to draw close to him and to, and, and, to, and to lean under the heart of Jesus and to hear from his Holy Spirit, we've got the, the Father, Son, and our holy iPhones because we've replaced the Holy Spirit with this holy device right here. And some more common distractions right now in this season. And here's the thing. Let me just tell you this. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll get to speak ever again after this. So I always say I'm going to give my best and say what I feel like the Lord wants me to say. But some of you in this season have become professional investigators of our government. Some of you have become professional conspiracy theorists of our government. And I have to ask, I can't answer this for you, but I have to ask myself, as I mentioned what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say at the beginning, if it's all taken away, if it's all bad, Will you still stand in these doors? And if these doors are closed down, will we still stand in the parking lot in the cold or the hot and say, hey, because I'm gonna tell you right now, I went to the Bahamas into a impoverished community when I, was in the, uh, when I was in high school and it was called Peas and Mud and it got hit by Hurricane Matthew a couple years ago. And it's one of the most impoverished communities in the Bahama Islands, this great, beautiful island chain. And in one of the islands, these Haitian refugees come and they seek living that is better than Haiti, but it's not much better. But what happened is a couple, probably when I was about 17 years old, a hurricane hit. And when we went to do our mission trip that next summer, the missionary looked at us and he said, when the hurricane hit, there was two and a half feet of water on Sunday morning in the sanctuary, feeling that it had, you know, it stopped raining, the sun had came up that morning, but there was two and a half feet of water. And we were like, well, how do you get rid of it? He said, well, we just have to wait till the water recedes. He said, but you know what blew my mind? He said, as I was observing the property that morning, he said, our congregation showed up and they opened the windows and they walked in and rolled their pants legs up. Many came in shorts and sandals and they said, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they stood before God and they worshiped just as they had done prior to that. 
So my question to you this morning is, I'm not saying I'm not American. I I'm, I'm definitely am. I love my country. But I'm going to take it a step and ask you if it's all taken away. You still going to serve God? You still going to stand on Sunday morning and say, I will not have a spirit of fear because your words and your actions and your comments on Facebook are leading those who were looking up to you to think otherwise. You're calling yourself a Christian. We're calling ourselves followers of Jesus. And we're saying, you know, don't have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. But a coin shortage happens and you're pulling every bit of coin out of your bank account going, oh, I got to have it right here. And so the things that are distracting you, and I'm not perfect, hey, I'll be the first to tell you. When some things have happened over the past couple months, I've had to say, Holy Spirit, how do I respond to this? And don't let me respond how I think you, or how I think I should respond because my way of thinking is, well, you know, this is what God would want me to do. But respond in a way of going, no, speak Holy Spirit and tell me what you want me to do. What shall I do during this season? As the psalmist wrote in Psalms 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. His rod and his staff is comforting me. And guess what? You may be placed in the presence of your enemies, but will they see you look and say, God, I don't care what happens. Take it all away because I will stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. And my allegiance is to Jesus. And I'm sorry if this offends you. I love my country. My allegiance is not to America. My allegiance is not to my family. You see in the scripture where Jesus looks and says, will you deny your family? Will you hate your father, your mother, your brothers or sisters? And was he really meaning hate? He was saying, no. Will you give it all up for me if that's what requires? Will you stand and go, it doesn't matter what happens in this country. It doesn't matter what happens in the future. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. A couple of statistics. The average person picks up their phone every 12 minutes. I don't know how long I've been speaking, but some of you probably have picked your phone up. I know I do. When Pastor Brett's up here speaking, I get easily distracted. I'm not sure why I sit in the back, because when I sit in the back, I'm distracted. But when I sit in the front, I'm also distracted, wondering who's behind me. So I am a distracted person. I'll be the first to tell you that. That's why the Holy Spirit spoke to me and chewed my lunch this week while I was thinking through some of this, going, you ain't preaching it until you deal with it in you. So I've had to deal with some of this this week. The average person over two hours per day are on social media, clicking and scrolling. That's not counting news, emails, and text. And so what that means is, at the end of your life when you die, if you die average age in your 80s, you will have spent <laughs> seven years of your life devoted to this thing right here. Seven years. You pick up your phone every 12 minutes, do the math, an average of seven years of your life will be spent Scrolling, clicking. And when you do that, and not just with phones, when you let other distractions come in your life, you are making people and those around you feel left out. I remember a gentleman told me one time, a business gentleman who was very successful, he said, I will not answer my phone or look at my phone when I'm standing in front of someone talking to them individually. He said, because 
why would I want to give someone who is not in my presence the current time over someone who is standing right in front of me who has taken the time to want to come to me and ask me or talk to me or just have conversation with me? I'm not going to do that. It's disrespectful. But what you have to do this morning, sometimes you have to, do, you have to treat distractions the same as sin. Just like Solomon and the immoral woman, he had to treat it as a sin. He had to get rid of it. And unfortunately, this morning, if you are not careful, what will happen in your life is, is kind of what happened to me in the swim race. Somebody else's distractions cost me and the team the race. And this morning, you might be here and you may say, well, this is distracting me. And Brad talked about it this morning. I sat down and looked through distractions and thought about distractions in my life or what's in, you know, currently distracting me, whether they're bad or good or not. Maybe you're not giving your best. But what you have to do is go, are my distractions affecting those around me? Are my distractions costing the people that mean the most to me? So sometimes what you have to do, you have to do is in Proverbs 5, 8 says, stay away from her. Stay away from it. Don't go near the door of her, her, her house. That's where, that was the instructions that were given to Solomon. Don't go anywhere near it. Sometimes you have to shut your door. Your door. You have to cancel Netflix. You have to turn off notifications. You have to unplug, unplug the Xbox. You have to delete distracting apps. You have to leave your phone behind you. And we have to resist the temptation because if not, it can't affect our future. So we have to eliminate. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to eliminate it today. And so we diminish the distractions and then we, second of all, in your notes, we focus on the important. You want to be successful? Do more, but do more of what matters. Did you hear me? You want to be successful? You want to be looked at when you stand with your kids on their wedding day or you stand when they're graduating high school? If you want to do more, do more of what matters most and what is successful. And only you can answer that. Nobody can answer that for you. Trust me. Husbands, you can't answer that for your wife. Trust me. Husbands, you can't answer that for your wife. Let me say it again. I was hoping a little more amen. Trust me. Husbands, you can't answer that for your wife. I have a wonderful wife, but I've learned you can't answer your wife's convictions for her. So you have to say no to the good to say yes to the best. And so you've got to be willing to grow with your nose. Not this nose, your no nose. So some of you here, you have trouble saying no to people. You're very good at things. You're very creative. You're very giving. God's gifted in your spirit, a, a, a giving spirit. You love serving people. You love pleasing people. You love helping people any way you can. But let me just tell you, in order for you and God to do what is best for you and your family, sometimes during this season or maybe this upcoming season, you've got to learn to say no. And it might mean saying no to something that's not necessarily bad but it might be saying no to something that God might bring back around and allow you to serve in that. But now 
right now, your family, your kids, something else is more important than saying yes to that. But Brad, oh, this person depends on me. This job depends on me. This situation depends on me. I just, it, I promise it won't take much of my time. Sweetheart, I promise it won't take much of my time. I'll just, I'll just do this and, you know, I'll help this person. And sometimes you just got to go, they'll figure it out. They'll get it. They'll be okay. A business, another business leader I worked with in Atlanta, he said, I don't let people's procrastinations become my crisis. And some of you need to live by that. Some of you, not to say you're rude to people, not to say you don't love people, not to say that you're not kind to people if they need something, not to say you quit serving people, but sometimes you've got to look at people and go, your procrastination, your distractions are not going to become mine and my family's crisis. And that may come with a price. That may come with some heartache. In Proverbs 4.25 it says, set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignoring life's distractions. Watch where you're going, stick to the path of truth, and the road will be safe and smooth before you, Proverbs 4.25. With fixed purpose, look straight ahead and ignore life's distractions. Many of you all know the story of Peter when Jesus called him to walk out on the water to him. When he took his eyes off of Jesus and got distracted, which I don't care who you are and what you say, we would have done the exact same thing. I'm a really, really good swimmer. I thought about going into the Coast Guard out of high school. Glad I didn't. My life probably wouldn't be where it is now. But I don't care who you are. You would have done the same thing. You would have taken your eyes off of Jesus. You'd have looked around you and those 40-foot waves coming in. This wasn't just a little rain shower storm with some thunder and lightning. This was a significant hurricane that came upon the waters. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't walk over to him and go, Peter, I told you not to take your eyes off of me. He didn't go over to him and go, you know, Peter, if you would have listened to me the first time, I'm guilty of doing that. I'll be the first to tell you. If you'd have listened to me the first time, he just walks over to him and goes, hey, look at me in the face. And he lifts him up. I mentioned to you a minute ago that I drive and, you know, we're a service company. And so I drive for a living for CentOS. And one of the things, it's crazy how the Lord uses certain things, but I was driving in my truck Thursday and I was thinking upon this message and the Lord had me look up. And what they do is on our trucks, they put these safety reminders and stickers and all this stuff. Some of them, you know, are, are important. Some of them are just because they have to do it to, you know, be OSHA compliant or whatever. And one of the things that's on ours and one of the things that we talk about every quarter is five keys to defensive driving. Now, I'm going to take some of these from a spiritual standpoint. Some of you, your wife's pointing at you and she's saying, you could really take this for defensive driving because you can't drive. Five keys to defensive driving that they teach you. It's called Smith Systems and it's something they teach us at CentOS, but I'm going to go through it and I'm going to let you see if any of this applies to you on a spiritual standpoint. First Smith System is aim high in steering. Look ahead into your future. I remember when I was in middle school, we had went to the beach 
Uh, we went to Myrtle Beach, and I, was, I, I don't remember what happened. I was just upset about something. And when I'm the type I'm upset, I kind of internalize it. You can read it on my face. How many of you are that, that person? You can read it on your face. You may not blow up or express it, but you can read it on your face. And I remember I had gotten mad for some reason because we didn't get to do something. And my, you know, my grandparents wanted to go to the mall and go shopping, and I think I had wanted to go somewhere else. And I remember walking through the mall, and I was just kind of mad, and I had my head down, and I ran into one of those kiosk and knocked it straight over and my grandparents started laughing and that made it even worse but sometimes aim high and steering you need to look into your future you need to keep your head up and some of the things that are pulling at you the distractions are pulling at you you need to look and keep your vision focused and go you know what I see what God has spoken to me about my future and I'm not going to let this distract me from it Second thing, get the big picture is the second Smith system and look and recognize hazards. You would not be distracted by the things that are distracting you right now if you were to look and recognize those distractions before they present themselves. Third thing, they tell you to keep your eyes moving. Don't have a fixed stare. If you've ever been driving and you've ever been tired, and you've been thinking, gosh, I've got all this on my mind. I've got this to do, this to do, this to do. What will happen is, and I know it happens because statistically it's proven it's happened to you and to me, what you do is you get a fixed stare. You say, well, what's a fixed stare? It's when you've driven five miles and you don't know how you got there. And you're like, oh my goodness, like how long have I been driving? Like, whoa, did I cut anybody off? Did I, you know, is there like flames coming from a massive crash behind me or what's going on? So don't get in a fixed stare. It means center your focus to not let yourself be distracted. I know for me, driving during the day and then coming home and sometimes driving in the evening, my, Jesse, will, I probably shouldn't tell this because it's kind of silly. Jesse will look over at me and I'll just be going, and I'll kind of be shaking my head and she'll go, pull over and let me drive. She knows what's happening. I'm getting tired. I'm getting in a fixed stare. The fourth thing, leave yourself an out. The Smith system teaches you to leave yourself an out, meaning give yourself a space cushion. Don't, it was funny when we were walking in church a minute ago, uh, all of Cody's kids, all three of them came running up and just grabbed him around his leg. How many of you parents, you've ever had that happen and you literally about fall? They just grab you and you're trying to, Take a step, but you know you're going to crush them and you're going to fall on them. And what happens is leaving yourself an out, giving yourself a space cushion means that you recognize where you thrive at. You recognize what you like, what your gifts and talents are, what you do really good at and what you thrive at. And sometimes you need to have your little bubble. I know my wife will sometimes look at me and say, they entered the bubble. Like, I need my bubble here. Don't enter. The, like, you're crowding me. You're crowding me like stay. And sometimes we need a space cushion. So driving wise, what they tell you is you should have a space cushion around you. Uh, six seconds in front of you, X amount of time behind you. If somebody's beside you, let them you know, slow down and let them go or speed up if you can and get over. So leave yourself a spiritual space cushion around you. And I'm not talking about don't invite people in, but you know what is distracting you and you know, hey, I gotta breathe. Like all this distractions and stuff's pulling at me and it's causing me to not be able to breathe. And the last thing they tell you is make sure that others see you. I'm really good at this because I love my horn. 
I love my horn on my, on my, on my truck. I love it. If, if, and I'll, I'll go ahead and apologize in advance. The first six months we started coming here, if you were coming down this road and if you saw a blue Honda Ridgeline beat the horn at you, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I can be an impatient driver, but it, it, I'll say this. It's not you. It's me. Yeah. But make sure they see you. Use your lights. Use your signals. Use your horn if necessary. But you need to use what God has given you. Because God's given you certain talents and gifts to share those. So use what God is giving you and use your talents, not in a boastful way, not in a prideful way to make sure others see you, but in serving God, people will see that. Trust me, people who serve don't get ignored. People who serve don't get ignored. A lot of people want to be up here or sing or this or that, and, and we all need recognition, but people who serve don't get ignored. Proverbs 4.26, don't allow yourself to be sidetracked for even a moment or take the detour that leads to darkness. So we're going to diminish distractions, focus on the important, and third, we're going to listen to the voice of God. You can write that in there, listen to the voice of God. Isaiah 30, 21 says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You've got to make up your mind that you're not going to let the noise of this world distract you from the voice of God. And we see in the scripture that God will speak to the lamb. He'll say, don't go over there. Come here. Just like a shepherd gently guides or corrects. God is that shepherd. So God will speak to you. He'll say, don't go there. Come over here. Lie down in green pastures. He'll lead you beside still or quiet waters. And guess what he does while that's going on? Restores your soul. He restores it. So there's four things as well that God does. He prompts you to let you know where you're going wrong, where you need to correct, where you need to make that adjust or that pivot. If any of you have ever played basketball and you put your pivot foot down and you can't dribble no more, you can still pivot from left to right or back to make the proper pass or whatever. Sometimes you've got to pivot. And God prompts you of what you're doing wrong. Then he corrects you and says, you're doing wrong. Here's what we need to do to correct this. And you know what he does next? He nudges you and goes, go this way. Make this decision. This is where I want you to go. I know you were distracted by that, but hey, just... Just go this way. This is a really cool season or a really cool area that God wants you to go in or I have for you. And when he nudges you, he will never nudge you without guiding you. The devil and every force of hell, it can't make you bad. James talks about you're enticed by your own flesh, your own desires, your own sins. But the devil can distract you. The devil can distract you. I wrote two different people down that are significant people, and you will know who they are when I, write, when I mention them here in just a second. Two different people that if they had not been nudged or they had not been kind of poured into, that the face of 
Christianity could be totally different for some of you and some people in our country. How many of you know who Mordecai Ham is? You don't know who he is because you don't hear him talked about a lot, but Mordecai Ham was the guy who led Billy Graham to Christ. Imagine if he would have passed up that opportunity. Imagine if 1934, he would not have been led and prompted to start a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. Billy Graham has influenced many of you and many of your parents and grandparents, and you've went to crusades in Charlotte, and some of your great-grandparents went to those crusades. But imagine, imagine the millions of souls that potentially would not have been won if it wasn't for Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham led Billy Graham to the Lord. Another one, I heard this story this past week. There was a young man who wanted to go to Bible college who was raised as a single, or his mom was a single parent, and she continually loved and poured into them, poured into her son, and he as a high schooler decided he wanted to go to Bible college, but he didn't have car, he didn't have, a, he didn't have money. Made $9 a week working at the mill in Danville, Virginia. And this mill worker went to a pastor down to the road and asked this pastor if there was anything he could do to help, a Baptist pastor friend of his. And the pastor said, let me make a few phone calls. And he made a few phone calls. And over the next couple weeks and months as summer went on, he called the young man back into his office and he said, hey, I've got a full scholarship for you to go to Bible college. You want to know who that was? Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley, if you don't know who that is, he's one of the most founding people for, for, one, for Christianity. He started a church in Atlanta, and he is one of few people and few ministers that are on TV, doing, doing TV evangelism the right way. Let me just put it that. He's one of the few people that's doing a televangelist that's actually doing the gospel the way that Jesus would want him to do and using his resources through TV. And if it wasn't for him... Same thing. Many of you here, your grandparents or your parents or great-grandparents may have not come to know Jesus because believe it or not, I know a lot of people that said, my grandma got saved watching Charles Stanley on TV at home. So let's take just a second and let's look at this. Diminish the distractions, focus on what is important and listen to the voice of God. We're gonna take just a second. Cody and Leslie have a song they're gonna sing and worship. And then I'll be right back up.
So this morning, I want to challenge you. Will you let your distractions down? Will you lay them at the feet of Jesus this morning and say, what do I need to do to have undistracted devotion to you, God, right now, this morning, today? Some of you, that may mean taking steps over the next couple days and maybe the next week, maybe next month and going, I can't let these distractions keep me from the relationship that God wants for me and the intimacy that he wants to have with me. Because I'm here to tell you, God wants an intimate relationship with you. I think he's tired of just surface level Christianity. I think he's just tired of us coming in and singing songs and going back out and living Unchanged. I think he's tired of us coming in and hearing, because here's my thing. God's not fooled. God's not fooled by our fluff. God's not fooled by our words of devotion, but lack of commitment with our heart. 
But he wants those things. He wants to be able to say, man, this person right here is living an abundant life with all their heart, soul, strength. They're, they're living all for me. And when you live all for God, guess what? He loves to just pour out his blessings upon you. He loves to take his cup and let it overflow into your life as he pours into you. So this morning, as we close in prayer, will you diminish the distractions? Will you focus on what is important? And then will you listen to the voice of God? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We love you and God, we worship you. We thank you that every person in this room and every person that may be watching online, Lord, that you will help us today to recognize, first of all, the distractions that are pulling us away from you and from our family and maybe from our job. And Lord, help us. Help us in those areas to diminish those so that we can focus on you and we can hear your voice clear this holiday season, clear in 2020. So we don't miss our purpose. So we don't miss the plans you have for us. Let us not just settle for good let us realize you want us to have a great relationship with you and a great relationship with others. We love you, God. We worship you. We give you honor. We give you glory and we give you praise this morning. It's in Jesus' name.